Hey guys, this is me. Did you move today? As-tu bougé aujourd'hui? Je te mechiste aujourd'hui. Et vous, te moviste ahora? Welcome to a Did You Move Today podcast. I'm your host, Andrea, and I'm very excited to have you here. In this episode, I have Greg Yudan as my guest. Greg is a PhD student in kinesiology at Teachers College, Columbia University, specializing in motor learning and motor control. He's an adjunct instructor and the lab manager for the Neurorehabilitation Research Lab, working with Dr. Lori Quinn. Greg was also a professional dancer and Pilates instructor prior to his entry into movement research. So I'm really excited to have Greg here. So without further ado, let's just get started. Hi, Greg. How are you? Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Great. Awesome. So I'm glad we figured this out. Yes. Um, so, yeah. So I want to know about your movement journey. How did everything start it? Um, I mean, so the thing was, my movement journey probably started when I first started dancing. Um, and that was when I was nine years old. Um, I was a child actor, um, not like a professional actor or anything. Just like I really liked acting and like was doing some things around town. And then I went to this um, audition um, and the people that were um, hosting the audition said that they would really like to represent me, but um, I needed dance experience. So my father um, like said, well, fine, you need to, you need to get some dance experience. And he found um, a dance studio that was um, nearby um, that had another boy in it. Um, so it was one age level up from the age level that I was supposed to be at, but he really wanted me to be in class with another boy. So he got me into that class. And then I took the one jazz class um, just because I, you know, my father was making me, but then I really kind of like fell in love with it. And the next year was taking a solo and another class. And then over the years, like the acting um, fell by the wayside and the dancing took over. I also know that you are uh, a Pilates instructor. Yeah. Um, you have all your certifications. And so you started with dance and then you found, I mean, I know you danced professionally. Yeah. Um, so I started dancing um, when I was nine and then um, I kept dancing and doing things. And then when it came time for me to go um, to college, I couldn't see myself not dancing, um, you know, So I ended up going to, um, to Hofstra University and I got my um, BA in dance there. Um, and while I was a sophomore at Hofstra, I started dancing um, professionally. And then <clears throat> I graduated and kept dancing in New York um, for about like 13 or 14 years. Um, I danced with a whole, a whole array of dance companies. Um, the ones that I spent the most time with um, were... Um, Heidi Latsky Dance, which is um, a physically integrated dance company in New York. So half the dancers are able-bodied and half the dancers are um, disabled. And I'm still on the board of directors um, for that dance company. Um, I also spent a lot of time with the New York Baroque Dance Company. I'm doing like 17th um, you know, century like court dances. Um, And I also um, spent a lot of time with the Anna Sokolo um, Dance Theater Ensemble. Um, so she was dancer and then created mm -hmm. um, her own company. The most famous piece of hers is Rooms. 
I never got to dance for her because um, I joined the company after um, she passed away. But I was able to um, spend, I think, about eight years um, dancing, dancing her work, which was really great. Um, and then the thing is, as a professional dancer in New York, you also need to, you know, often offset what you're doing. So um, I was really interested in Pilates because I started taking Pilates just as a required class um, at, um, at Hofstra. Um, and then when I graduated, I, you know, um, wanted to, to do more with it. So I ended up getting my, um, my math certification, um, which was a weekend course and not great, but it allowed me to like, at least get my feet wet. Um, and then after that, um, through one of my other friends, I ended up, um, doing an apprenticeship at ground floor exercise and then went through um, and got my certifications and did all of that. So I was also teaching Pilates um, here in New York, um, you know, around. So while you were dancing professionally, you also had, um, you know, you you were also teaching Pilates. Yeah. The first couple of years that I was dancing professionally, I wasn't teaching Pilates. Um, So when I, I started dancing professionally while I was in school um, and was able to do both, thankfully. And then when I graduated, um, I started waiting tables in Times Square, but I was a really terrible waiter. I was not good <laughs> at it. Like, it was not the job for, for me, um, especially in the middle of Times Square. So I needed to do something different. Um, and then I got hired um, at the front desk of a hotel And, you know, worked my way up and I actually um, was one of the assistant front office managers. But then the thing was that um, I got a full time dance job um, with HT Chen and Dancers and I couldn't I could no longer um, work full time at the hotel and um, dance like and do the full time dance gig. So I had to make the decision. And the thing was for me that like. I had always really wanted to dance. Um, That was my dream. That's why I moved to New York. So I said, well, I need to quit this hotel job um, and just take the dance job. And, you know, the dance job was able to pay me a lot and it was good. But I also needed um, a second job to, like, fill in the gaps and do things. So um, I started teaching Pilates. The other thing I did was, um, like, bar mitzvah or, like, party dancing um, so I did that for a little while too. I like it how you keep it very real because I feel like when, when it's only like take, when, when you, when you want to dance for a dance company, like in the meantime, there's, there, people have to find a way to make some extra income. So I really appreciate that you're keeping everything so real and like to see where you're at right now. It's like, it's very, it's very awesome for me. Um, so I want to ask about Armenia because yeah. I know you, you now you're the board of director you're a part of the board of directors of Heidi Latsky. Yes. Um, so I want to ask about like how how did that go and like how yeah what, what can you tell me about it? Um, so Armenia was really interesting. Um, so the thing was um, Heidi Latsky, who's the um, the choreographer and the artistic director of the company, um, she had to have a hip replacement. 
So unfortunately, she couldn't go with the company to Armenia. So she asked me to take um, to take her place. Um, so this was a large cast of about um, 16, 16 dancers. Um, and I think about nine of the dancers um, have some form of a disability. Um, and then three of the dancers um, use a wheelchair in some capacity. Um, so it was just really interesting because um, it was my first time traveling to Armenia. Um, and Armenia in Yerevan um, has a huge dance festival. Um, so their dance festival is called High Fest. Um, and then within that, they have what they call a festival within a festival, um, which was uh, USA Forward. So um, American Dance Abroad and the U.S. Embassy in Armenia helped to bring um, three American dance companies, all from New York, um, to perform in Armenia. So that was um, Heidi Latsky, um, Bridgman Packard, and Doug Verone's company. Um, Heidi's is the only um, physically integrated company that was going. Mm -hmm. So it was, um, it was really awesome because we got to bring um, physically integrated dance, uh, you know, to a country that doesn't always get physically integrated dance. You know, um, it's not people with disabilities aren't always seen dancing there, um, you know, and yes. because of that, we had some difficulties, you know. Um, so the wheelchairs got stuck in Moscow and didn't make that into, into Armenia. So we arrived and we didn't have wheelchairs, you know, and then one of the dancers uses a powered wheelchair. So that one, we had brought converters and everything for it, but then the wheelchair wouldn't charge. Right. So we had to like go out and like buy, um, wheel, like, you know, another, a stronger converter, um, we also had like an issue where, um, you know, when you travel to countries like this, not everything is always accessible. So um, we had to like deal with some accessibility issues, like getting into the building and like, you know, the bathroom was upstairs and like to the end mm -hmm. of a hallway. So, you know, but the whole company banded together and we all had a really amazing experience. Um, and then we got to perform um Heidi's on display well not me I was like directing it and not um not dancing this time but um they performed um in one of the the bigger theaters um in Yerevan and it was really it the the work is really interesting because she tries to um give people a place to stare and to look and to ask about disability so um the piece we did um the people from Armenia, like we had community members do this um, movement installation, like sculpture court, like in the lobby of the theater. And then the dancers do a piece on stage called um, Displayed, um, which is a lot more dancey than the, the movement um, sculpture court. But um, the audience, when they come in, um, so it, you know, it's a regular theater, but all of the wings are taken up and everything's taken up so that and there's chairs um, put on the stage. Um, I think we were able to fit 90 uh, like chairs on the stage so that the audience could actually sit there. But when they come in, the dancers are in this sculpture garden, right? And the mm -hmm. audience is 
is asked to walk through the sculpture court. They're allowed to take pictures. They're allowed to like stop and stare and look at the dancers, you know, and really like take a look and like see what it means to them. And then as the piece um, starts to progress, um, the audience is asked to sit in their chairs and then the dancing gets stronger and stronger. Um, you know, so we had a really amazing um, response to that in Armenia where they were um, the just like uh, they, they hadn't seen things like this before. So it was just um, it was really lovely. And then I got to be a part of um, a panel discussion there um, with the U.S. Embassy um, where a lot of the discussion was on um, using or the use of dance um, as a form of soft diplomacy. So that like, um, you know, Heidi's company is all about um, diversity and inclusion. And that's not just about um, disability, but she really tries to get people from all ages, um, across the gender spectrum of all races. So it's meant to be a very, very inclusive um, experience, which is very representative of America. So mm -hmm. that when a dance company, you know, comes in like that, that we can um, start to share some of these American values because um, dance and movement is something that doesn't need language, right? It's like a language in and of its um, in and of itself. So even if you don't understand English, you can still see the dance and get something out of it. Now, I know you you said you're the board of directors. How did you? Was it? one of the requirements to dance for the company and then you became a board of directors? No. Um, so I was dancing with the company, um, you know, and then I, I never really wanted to leave the dancing for the company, to be <laughs> honest. Like that wasn't really my, my intent. Um, but then I, um, you know, started looking at grad school programs and I ended up at the motor learning and motor control program Mm -hmm. uh, um, Columbia. And I, you know, had been given some, some funding and things like that. So I had to go full time. And then I wasn't really able to like, split my time very well between like, being a professional dancer where you have to go to class all the time and like really work on your technique. And also being, you know, a uh, a research scientist where I needed to be in the lab all the time. Yeah. So I just didn't have enough time to like split. So, um, you know, I kind of stepped away from the dance company for a little while. And then um, Heidi um, came up to me, I guess it was probably like two years later, you know, and she said, you know, I really think that what you're doing um, with the science end of things is really interesting and that you could really, contribute a lot to, um, you know, to the development of the company. Um, so she asked me if I was willing to be on the on the board of directors. And nice. through that, um, we actually um, have set up a little bit. It's not the main purpose of the dance company by any means, but it's, you know, like we were talking about like being real and like dance company needs money and needs funding too, right? Yeah. So um, we've set up like a science panel um, where her and I and um, typically one of the dancers, um, you know, come into either a university or, you know, um, some sort of forum and we give a talk where like I talk about the research on like, 
dance for neurorehabilitation or dance for people with like neurological problems. And then we also talk about like Heidi's work um, as a whole and like, you know, the potential benefits um, of dance for either like an aging population or, you know, just kind of like um, an open-ended discussion where we both incorporate some of the research studies that have been done um, and then also use Heidi's companies like a platform to show what, what is possible. Nice. Now, now that you talk a little bit about the motor control um, um, and the lab that you're currently at at Columbia University, um, well, I want to ask you first because I know you are Latino, right? Yes. <laughs> so when I found that out, I was like, oh, my God, this is awesome. I'm Latina also. And I, I mean, I moved here from from El Salvador a couple of years ago for undergrad. And then I it just so happened that I stayed here and now I became a citizen of this country. But it's very hard to find people, to find Latinos that are in the lab uh, and that are, you know, in, in the science. Yeah. And I guess there are, but, but it's, it's a minority. And so, I- yeah, no, it really is. So, like, I'm going to tell you a really funny, like, story because it just fits perfectly right now. So, um, you know, I'm in this lab and in this PhD program. And, like, so my family's from the Dominican Republic. Um, I was born here, but I'm first generation. My mom was born in the Dominican Republic and then came over um, to marry my father. So, um, and then when I was like uh, four years old, my mom and my father got divorced and my mother remarried another Dominican man and my grandmother lived with us. So like I was raised very, very, very Dominican, right? Like, um, so there was an announcement that came through Columbia University like through my email and it was like we are looking for Dominican neuroscientists to march in the Dominican Day parade in New York City and I was like are you kidding like that's me yeah like how many people are there (laughs) did you You go I did so I ended up um meeting with them um and it was this um this woman who works um at a lab um, with Adam Brickman up at the Columbia University Medical Center. And they had a small group of like, you know, um, I think there was about like 10 of us who ended up marching, you know, and she's been essential to help me like connect with like other Latinos who like do this, right? But like often, you know, like um, I, I, you know, you go to a conference and there's like, not many Latinos or not many scientists. Right. And like, one of the other things is that like, I'm, I'm gay, I'm LGBT. And Mm -hmm. like, you know, that's another thing. So like this summer, um, I spoke on this like LGBT STEM panel and, um, you know, at the end of the panel, this young boy came up to me and he was like, I've never seen anybody like you. He was like, I'm Latino and I'm gay and I'm interested in science and I've never seen anybody who like fits all of those three things, yeah. um, you know? And he was like, um, Columbia is my dream school, you know? So I ended up like meeting with him and like talking with him and helping him um, to apply. So he just applied this year. So I don't know if he's gotten in yet or not, but like, you know, um, it's just like visibility is so important. And like, one of the things too is for me that I've always felt like, um, so I'm, my father's American. 
and Mm -hmm. I am very white, light-skinned Latino. So I always feel like I have to fight for my Latinidad, where I'm like... White passing, "Mm -hmm." yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah, white passing, I said. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm very white passing. And, like, so I always have to, like, fight where I'm like, no, 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 I'm Latino. Like, yes, Spanish is my first language. My parents didn't teach me English until I went to kindergarten. Like, I grew up very Latino. I grew up going to the Dominican Republic every summer to visit my family. Like, you know, like, yes, you know, so it's, I, you know, and that's, that's something too, because if you're very white passing, you have to, you know, talk about it and be visible. And like, that's, it was interesting because when I was in, um, when I was in the dance world and then like, I didn't always feel the need to like be super visible, especially with like the the being gay thing, because you know there was a whole bunch of dancers, and I was also yeah. in this like inclusive dance company where like how, you know everyone it was all mixed races and everything, so it never really felt like a big deal. But then like I got to the lab and I got to Columbia and I was like, oh, there's not many people like me around, right? And then I really felt like I needed to like increase my voice. Yeah, and I'm glad you did that because I mean that's something that. I mean, I just started grad school and I, I feel when I go to the kinesiology department, I mean, there's nothing, not, not that it, there's nothing wrong with it, but I'm just like, is there another one here that is Latina just like me? <laughs> and it's like, it's, it's just because, you know, I want to just the feeling of, oh, let me see if there is someone else that is just yeah Latino that I can connect with just because of where we come from. Yeah. Um, so like I feel like that's very important, and and that I'm very I'm so grateful because of my advisor. She's she's Latina too, so that's when I was like, okay, yeah, yeah, she's you know she's a, she's great in what she does, and I'm just like, okay, well I can connect with you, but that that's so real, like what you're talking about coming from like dance, like in d- dancing, and then seeing that there's like a lot of inclusivity in- inclusion and meeting people from different places, and then going to science and oh wait, uh, I you know. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I'm happy. I'm happy you, you said that because when I when I found out that you were Latino, I was like, okay. Yeah, this and is like great. There's been like a new. So somebody, I can't take personal credit for this, but like somebody on like social media posted that you know, like one a simple thing that you can do at conferences is to like wear a pin, right? So I bought mm-hmm. a, a pin of like the Dominican flag. So that I can start wearing that on like the the lanyards from conferences so that if somebody <laughs> wants to talk about it, right, like it's there, but it's also not, you know, like it's, it's there in the room where like I'm showing up, but also like if you want to like have somebody to talk to, I'm here, you know. Great. Well, that's, that's awesome. Now, can you tell me a little bit about the, the research that you're doing at the lab? Um just like previous research, I know you just went to ACRM. So I just want to know, like, what, what, what kind of research are you interested? Yeah, so um, I kind of have spanned um, a lot, a, a little bit of different things, because um, to, in terms of keeping it real, right, and being, being honest, um, when I came into science, I was a little bit burnt out from dancing. So when I came into the lab, I really didn't want to be doing dance research. I wanted to gain other skills and like, you know, my interest had always been in human movement, right? Because I was dancing and teaching Pilates and all of these things, but I really wanted to like 
know more, right? And asking, like teaching Pilates led me to ask questions and dancing led me to ask questions. Um, so I ended up <coughs> um, in the program. So my, what I presented on at ACRM was on um, using the Microsoft HoloLens, um, which is like a self-worn computer that can project um, 3D holograms into space, mm -hmm. um, using that as a tool for gait training in people with Parkinson's disease. Nice. Um, so most of my work has actually focused in um, people with Parkinson's and people with Huntington's disease. And mm -hmm. then I've also done some work with people who've had a stroke. I know like at your advisor, Dr. Lori Quint, she's a, um, she, she does a lot of uh, research on Huntington's disease, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So she, um, she does a lot of work in Parkinson's and Huntington's and now she's also getting into a little bit of stroke work as well, which is how I've ended up um, there. Her research is, um, her main, her, re her research is really kind of divided into like, um, you know, doing physical activity interventions um, for mm -hmm. people with neurological problems. Um, and then also the use of wearable technology, um, both for intervention and for um, measurement. And then she does some work um, in like engagement and like pediatrics um, that she has one collaborator that she works with. Um, and like the thing too was that as part of my, my master's work, I actually, um, don't ask how this happened because I still to this day don't really know how this ended up happening to me, but I ended up getting a second master's in applied statistics. Mm -hmm. um, I saw that. And like, if you were had asked me when I was dancing or even when I like applied to grad school, if I ever saw myself doing statistics, the answer would have been no. But like, you know, as you go in research, like yeah. statistics become very important. So mm -hmm. Um, I've had some projects that are m more um, data science or um, statistics focused, but still with a human movement component. Um, so we just had the, the Huntington study group that I went to um, as well. And I presented there um, on two things. Um, one was on the use of wearable sensors um, to measure chorea, um, which chorea is like an involuntary movement that happens um, in people with Huntington's. And actually, um, Korea in Latin means dance. So they had very dance-like movements. Um, so I was looking at um, some measures that we got from the wearables and seeing how related those were to the clinical um, Korea scores. Would you and say, sorry to interrupt you, would you say that Korea, it's like similar to clonus? Like that you get that it does involuntary like shaking movement or is it just very different? I'm just... Um, it's very jerky. Um, okay. You know, so it's jerky and it it doesn't necessarily um, do do slow, like it doesn't make somebody slow. It's not like bradykinesia and it's not, it's also got a very different look um, than tremor, right? Okay. Um, so it's not like a shaking that is like um, a repeated frequency, um, but there are these like uncontrollable like limb movements that happen. Um, mm -hmm. And that can happen, um, like when it's measured clinically, you measure it on, at the trunk, at the arms, um, at the legs, and then you also measure it at the mouth, the tongue, and the face. Well, interesting. Can you can you tell me, um, Greg, about motor control? A little bit about motor control and motor learning. Yeah. So where I really where um, 
I've focused on is in the motor learning and motor control. And that's really my area of, um, of research and also the area of my program. I do a lot with biomechanics as well, but my work with biomechanics is to better understand uh, motor control and better learning as opposed to like a pure um, biomechanist. Um, but motor control is really about how the brain controls movement um, mm -hmm. and all of the processes that, that happen there. And then um, motor learning is how somebody learns um, to move better, right? Like, mm -hmm. is there, and the thing too with motor learning is that there's always a, one of my main things that I like to, you know, when I do Pilates workshops or, or talk is that um, performance is not learning, right? Like what you're seeing in that moment isn't the person learning. There needs yeah. to be some time and the person has to be able to replicate what they did for them to actually have like learned it. I think I was reading a paper about, I cannot remember the name right now, but it's a paper that talks about, um, about motor learning. I don't, I don't remember. It's like motor learning. Yeah. Motor learning or more. Yeah. Motor learning. So basically it's a four week um, task. And then from week zero to week two, a specific brain area that's where they have, it has more uh, brain activity. But then after two, like two to four, it changes to another brain area. So I thought that that was very interesting. Um, the, um, I don't know the paper that you're referring to, but like, you know, the thing is like with beginners <coughs> or people that are novice, right? They might often like a beginner and an expert look very different, right? Like mm -hmm. one of the things about movement, right? Is like, you want to get to a level of, um, what I would say is automaticity um, or where that movement becomes more automatic, right? Like the dancer doesn't want to have to think about every little movement that they're making every time, right? Like then you, you learn it and you're able to like replicate it. Right. So um, it's like that paper was probably looking at like the, um, the, you know, when you be from, when you move from a novice to an expert, there's less conscious control that's needed, right? Like once mm -hmm. you learn how to do it, you can like recall it much easier. So there are a lot of like brain changes um, that happen. There's also um, in rehab, a term that's called like neuroplasticity, which is mm -hmm. just like the brain's ability to change itself, you know? So, um, you know, we kind of try to capitalize on um, the neuroplasticity um, in these neurological disorders so that you can really like teach them and improve their motor skills so that they can do it on their own. Nice. Now I, I could talk to you, I could talk to you for hours yes. because I also know that you mentioned that you wanted to go to physical therapy school and then the sign, the hours, the requirements that you did. I, I remember you, you talk about this in the past. Yeah. And so, so I could talk to, I could talk to you for days. So I wanted to ask you just like, you can tell if you can talk a little bit about, about that, you know, why you didn't go into physical therapy. Um, and then just basically your why of like why you're doing what you're doing right now. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, the why I'm doing what I'm doing right now is, because my passion has always been in how the human body moves and trying to better understand that. And my, you know, my history has always been in human movement, whether that's in dance or Pilates or yoga or physical therapy and any of these other mediums, right? Like it's always been about looking at how the body moves and how to get people to like 
move better. So when I went to undergrad, um, I did um, a a minor in um, what was called physical education theory, but it was basically like a kinesiology minor. And Mm -hmm. I did all of my prereqs for PT school because I always thought like, oh, I'll go be a physical therapist, right? But I didn't want to do that at the cost of not dancing, right? So like my primary goal was to dance first. And then I always said, oh, well, someday I'll like maybe go back to physical therapy school. And the thing was like, I was always on the fence about like, well, do I go back to physical therapy school or do I go back and get my MFA in dance? Like I never really, really knew. And like, if you talk to me at any point in time, it was one answer and then the next week it would be the other. So (laughs) when I finally... um, thought about it you know um this was more for probably some personal reasons too was that um my partner is here in New York and like it's very difficult to get a dance teaching job um here in New York just because the market is very very saturated and a lot of my friends who had gone to get their MFAs ended up teaching you know in other places and I was like well I can't really move easily so let me not do that and then I thought well you know I really I'm interested in this whole Pilates and rehab component. So let me go um, to get my physical therapy degree. But the thing is, your science classes expire 10 years after you take them. So Mm -hmm. like in order for me to go to PT school, I would have had to retake um, at least two years of undergrad to redo all of the prereqs that I had taken. And I really didn't want to do that. I really didn't want to do that. Um, and the thing was, when I was teaching um, Pilates, one of my one of my friends who was um, she was also a Pilates teacher, but we were dancing in Heidi's company together and we went on tour and she said, oh, well, what's next for you? Um, and I said, oh, well, I don't know. I think um, I've been going to get treated um, by doing this thing called muscle activation technique. Um, mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I really want to, like, learn learn more about that and she was like oh well my friend greg does that and they have like a discount program for dancers like you should meet him so i went to meet him and he had actually graduated from the program at columbia so then i started looking at the program at columbia and i was like oh my god this is so interesting like this is what i've been looking for like you know and then Um, I ended up only applying to Columbia, (laughs) which I don't recommend, but I was like, you know, if I get in, I'll go. And if I don't get in, that's fine. I'll keep dancing. And then I'll like figure out what, you know, maybe I'll like apply somewhere else, or maybe I'll look at something else, or maybe I'll like talk to them about why I didn't get in. Um, But I kind of just applied on a whim and that's kind of what changed things. That's great. Now, Greg, uh, did you move today? I did. Um, so I, I go to see, um, I do Pilates twice a week and then I see the personal trainer, um, three times a week. So I did a lot of kettlebells this morning. Nice. What's movement for you? Um, so, I mean, movement for me is like everything, um, you know, like, because we, we tend to think about movement as something that we have to do, right? Like, oh, I have to go to the gym and that's moving for me or I'm dancing, you know, but Moving is like walking to the store, right? Getting up and off the couch, like eating, right? Like all of these are like motor skills that you develop over time. And we don't, we don't always think about everything that encompasses movement. 
Craig, thank you very much. Um, I'm so happy that I've had you on the podcast because you're not only a scientist, but also an artist um, and a professional dancer. So that's really great. Um, so I'm very grateful that you took the time because I know you have other things to do as well. So thank you here. And I hope that I can meet you sometime soon in person. Yeah, me too. Can I tell you about one thing before we go, though? Tell me. Yeah. So I'm um, speaking on like the Latin Latinidad and my research and everything and what I'm doing now, right? Like, um, we're about to start a project at Columbia, um, hopefully within the next month or two, which kind of combines all of that for me. Um, so we are looking at the feasibility of using merengue dance. Um, nice. I'm Dominican. So <laughs> of using merengue dance um, for people post-stroke. Um, to see if there's improvements in gait and balance, um, you know. Nice. So that kind of like, you know, I think that like you end up finding your path, right? And things kind of like come together. And like, I didn't really, like, if you had told me that I would end up in movement science, I probably wouldn't have believed you. And like, if you had also like told me, you know, 20 years ago, like, oh, go be a movement scientist, I probably still would have gone for dance first, right? Um, yeah. But you know, all of these things, like all of your unique skill sets kind of come together and you never really know how it's going to come together. Craig, one last thing. I want everyone to know where they can find you online. I'm going to put that on the bio, on the, the caption on the bio, but I want to make sure that you tell. Them. Yeah. Um, so I've been active on, um, on social media. So I have um, a Facebook page, which is Gregory Udan, um, human movement scientist, where I post a lot. Um, but the place that, like, you probably get a lot more where I'm more active is on Twitter. Um, and that's at um, Greg Udan. And then I'm also on Instagram. But I will be honest that I'm not very good at pictures. <laughs> so Twitter seems to be a much better medium for me. But I'm in any of those places. So you can find me there. Um, you know, um, I also have my own personal website, which is GregoryUdan.com. And that has my email and my contact info. So I'm happy to talk to anybody. Okay, thank you very much, Greg. Um, and I, I want I'll, I'll follow up with that with that research. No worries. Thank you very much too. It's an honor to be on the podcast, and it's a pleasure meeting you. And I know that we will meet in person one day, and we'll be able to chat and like do all of the fun things. For sure. All right. Have a great day. Yeah. You too. Thank you.